like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. We thank you for, uh, for being so kind to a bunch of scrappy Americans who finally made it to Belgium after all this time. Uh, Sometimes you hear there's something called uh, uh, good things come to those who wait, and we've waited a long time to get to play here, and thanks for uh, all the good things, great things. Listen to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and we're sitting here in the middle of march as far as we know no announcements for a tour have happened but you never know in the blink of an eye i guess it could happen but we're still here waiting getting to the first quarter of 2023 we don't have anything which is okay because that means it could just be announced later but it's always good to have something in the interim to have to kind of keep up the Pearl Jam hype and the Pearl Jam fandom as it's kind of in between tours and stuff like that. And that's kind of what we've been doing, especially when we started. We did it for like three years. And now where we are now, well, we're still in that role again. And whenever there is a tour, we will do nothing but talk about it, we promise. And on that note, today's episode is actually going to be from 2006 and that tour for the Avocado record. We're going to talk about the Antwerp Belgian show. Yeah, that's our first time covering the country of Belgium. We didn't get to do it when we did our around the world thing a couple of years ago. It was just something that we skipped. And we've had some people that are like, hey, you got to represent, you got to represent. And finally, through patron requests, through a little bit of influence from our friend Aurelian as well, we are here in Belgium and we're ready to do their first ever show out of here. So let's get on it. Randy Sobel over here, John Ferrar over there. Hello, hello. Hiya. Yep, this is the first one. It took till 2006. I mean, not for lack of effort. I think they had had shows canceled there in, in 92 and maybe 93 and 2000, maybe. There were it at least two or three that were canceled. 
Yeah, there were definitely two. I don't think 93 was one of them, but they both kind of weirdly stem from the same show, not the same situation at all, but the same show festival. And of course, when you think about that, you kind of think, oh, Roskilde would be the one to have to cancel things because this was actually supposed to be the show after Roskilde on the rock worker festival tour, a tour they've done tons of times, I think six times after this date. So it's not like Belgium has had a lack of shows after this. They've gotten a pretty healthy amount, even though they're festivals. And in 1992, if you remember, there was a show in Roskilde where like their manager, Eric Johnson was being taken by security and got into a fight with security. And it led Jeff to leave the stage and try to tell him like, Oh, he's with the band. And and then apparently Jeff couldn't get back on stage because security wasn't paying attention to him being on stage. It's a whole thing. I'm sure we'll cover it sometime, but yeah, they had to cancel the rest of their dates after that Ross killed show in 92. And that year they were scheduled to play the Torhout festival. So. And Worker, it looks like there were two canceled. Yeah. Was it worked yeah. as well? Yeah. It looks like there were two. So yeah, they had three full shows then, yeah. which is kind of nuts, but all this time, 2006 would be the one. And because you have to look at it in this way too, from 2000, 2006, there are no shows over in Europe. They don't do a European tour. So this was the next possible time to do something. And they kind of went, it seems like after rock worker usually is rock worker, I think is the beginning of July, like around July 4th ish. And they went and they did this tour starting in late August. So they didn't have an opportunity to go do that. So this is the only arena show that they would do in Belgium proper. Yeah, when you think of it, they, I mean, they've been back to do work there a bunch of times since this. But yeah, the first one here in an arena, I think it said 17,000 people there. So yeah, pretty good. Yeah, it's a solid amount, of course. And we have to right here thank a patron of ours named Gunter, and I said I would say last week, but in case you don't tune into the end of the podcast, which you should always tune into the end of the podcast, we put an end there to tune into it. I know a lot of people tune out after the raining and all that, but there's good stuff at the end. And this is where I said I am going to introduce Gunter most of the episode, maybe one more time after this, as Gunter, his last name is Habits. Never habits. thought you'd habits. I'm going to do that. If it's cringeworthy, don't care. I don't get to see your faces. You can post all over social media. I care. And I'll just get a laugh from it. So, yeah, Gunter was nice enough to join Patreon. Actually, John, do you want to tell them how Gunter came to know us? Because it wasn't from the Pearl Jam community, so to speak. Yeah, I actually heard Gunter on the Alphabetical Fugazi podcast. He had done one of the early songs there. They were going through Alphabetical A to Z. And he had talked about doing this project, like this kind of blog he has where he goes through and talks about Fugazi's live shows in detail. Like, it's not a podcast, but it's on the internet. And he goes into a lot of detail, talks about the stats. The episode was kind of similar to what we do for Pearl Jam. So I was really interested. And then when I got to be on that show, you know, the host, Ian, was nice enough to let me on. 
Gunter reached out and was like, hey, you know, I've, I've been following Pearl Jam too. That's interesting what you guys do. It's kind of similar to what I do. So, yeah, super nice of him to do that. He's a super nice guy. You can find his Fugazi website at another Fisted Find. That's S-I-E-V-E, another com. So definitely check that out if you're into Fugazi or if you're into just live stats and talking about live shows like we do. It's good stuff. Yeah, that's right up our alley. That's kind of right in within what this community does. And it makes so much sense for Fugazi that have had shows forever and they used to play thousands of times. And yeah, it's great to have that source of information. I think that's, you know, one of the big reasons that we have been so committed to this as well is that like being able to be a source for information we think is pretty important. So a lot of respect going out to Gunter for doing that. Really, even though it's not the same world, it kind of is in a way, in a few different ways. So why don't we tell his story right here? Thank you for honoring my request and covering the August 30th, 2006 show in Antwerp, Belgium. After canceling shows at the acclaimed Rock Worker Festival in 1992 and 2000 after Ross killed, this is the first time Pearl Jam actually played a gig in Belgium and is still the only time that the band performed in an indoor venue unrelated to the festival circuit. Needless to say, the anticipation for this one was high and the band sold out our largest 20,000 plus cap event hall in a couple of hours. I seized the opportunity and secured tickets to attend the show as well and it was my first Pearl Jam show. Remembering a slate of Seattle bands breaking in the early 90s, I pretty much grew up on a steady diet of hardcore and punk music during that decade, losing track of Pearl Jam pretty early on. After the 10 release, the band was no longer on my radar for years and years, until I stumbled upon a copy of Riot Act while visiting Japan in the fall of 2003. That album struck a deep chord with me and is probably still the one that I cherish the most. It led me to discover Pearl Jam's back catalog, in particular their live shows for a number of years to come. And even though Pearl Jam's most recent studio albums after Backspacer never really resonated with me, it is the live experience that keeps me interested and engaged. Sharing a similar love and enthusiasm for live music and live recordings, and having annotated numerous Fugazi live recordings over the years, I enjoy tuning into your podcast on a regular basis to listen to you guys doing a deep dive. I think you have the formula for the weekly discussions down pat these days, and I have a lot of respect for the time, effort, passion that you are putting into such a labor of love on a continuous and unrelenting basis. It's some serious long distance. Well, thank you, Gunter. I really appreciate that. And you know, this kind of thing, like you said, is labor of love. And you would know, too, because you kind of the same thing with the Fugazi website that you're putting all this stuff together. Nobody's asking you to do it, but the joy that people get, the information and insight that people get out of it is what makes this feel all worthwhile. And that's why we love doing it, keep doing it. So thanks so much for bringing that up. And yeah, we work pretty hard. So just throwing that out there. On paper, I reckon this isn't one for the collector since it doesn't really feature any rarities. Well, at least not by 2006 standards, and with the exception of one song, which I'll get to in an instant. Further, the Riot Act album is missing altogether, unfortunately, and both Binaural and Lost Dogs are just marginally represented with one song each. However, the setlist does include a number of personal favorites, like In Hiding, Present Tense, and Indifference, and offers an overall strong and ardent performance in my book, with little or no mistakes dotted around and plenty highlights. 
The opening lines of Corduroy sound most appropriate and light the place up immediately. Matt gets to showcase his talent behind the kip during the bridge and even flow. Mike and Boom get to duel on Crazy Mary. And there's numerous crowd sing-alongs, which luckily were preserved for posterity on the boot. The show definitely reaches its apotheosis towards the ending of a breathtaking and phenomenal version of Black that spilled into Better Man. The show was ours at that point, and I clearly remember the unfolding events literally stopped Eddie in his tracks. Plus, we did get one rare cut, a solid and enjoyable version of Hunger Strike featuring Andrew Stockdale of the Australian opening act Wolf Mother on guest vocals, which we'll talk about Wolf Mother a little bit later. So all in all, I think this is a recording and a show that I can easily recommend for a number of reasons, but enough of my musings is all yours now, and I am looking forward to hear you guys break it down for the rest of us. Much obliged, Gunter. P.S. Eddie didn't know, forgot to mention, or decided not to mention that Belgium actually has three official languages, which is Flemish, which is their version of Dutch, French, and German. I think he said something like, oh, you guys speak Dutch and and French, so you got two of the three. I guess that's worth something, (laughs) but hey, great story, Gunnar. That's that's awesome. Thanks so much. And, And yeah, kind of interesting because we can't sit here and say oh yeah this was on our radar because how can it be you know like it's in this time that we really haven't dug into too much and the shows that you kind of remember are the Leeds festival and reading festival and then after that is that fantastic marseille show from france and this is kind of somewhere in the middle this is the fifth show of the start of that european run and we don't do a lot of 2006 lately, not saying that we haven't done it before, obviously, but we haven't really kicked into gear with this tour year. So this was not on our radar at all. And kind of in the same way, like last week, it's one that I had zero expectations for and went into this thinking, oh, okay, why don't people talk about this a little more? And and that's Again, the whole purpose of doing this, I know a lot of people tune in and they're like, I, I want to listen to my show. I want to listen to the show that I was at and, and get that. And and for a lot of people, you got like 60 plus, so you have a lot of episodes to listen to. But just as much as it is for you, it's it's for us as well to kind of learn and listen to these shows and kind of figure out what they were doing at that time and what a crowd like this, after the first time, after all those false starts that they were supposed to play in Belgium how they would react like that's that's a pretty big deal yeah it's a, it's a really good crowd it feels like we haven't come back to 2006 in forever i know we did a couple kind of at the end of the latter half of last year but there haven't been very many i think this is one of the most underrepresented years in the podcast we're gonna have to kick these up for too long to get it even with the rest of them but for a crowd that waited you know what, 16 years to get their first show. They, they do a good job. And when Gunther suggested it, I was looking forward to it for sure because I haven't dug into these shows in a long time. All of the big city shows and big tourier shows, and this is a big tourier. I don't want to like put it off as it's not. I'll get into a point of like why maybe I dismiss 2006 a little bit more. And it actually, my point kind of doesn't happen in the show, which was a little bit surprising and refreshing. But I can get into that a little bit later. 
But yeah, just a great show we're about to talk about right now. However, before we get into that, we had a question of the week asking you all about the Avocado record and this time period and what songs after the record came out you really thought were some of the best live. We got some great responses here, and we're not going to read the responses, but we're going to read the results because I tallied them all up. And I guess because we've done it in the past, John, I guess we're going to have to play a guessing game here. Now, there's one song that didn't get any votes at all. Which was that? Song that didn't get any votes. Ooh. That's weird because there's not like an off-the-wall song on that record, really. Parachutes. I'm going to say Parachutes is the one. That's correct. Nobody said Parachutes. There was one person that brought it up that I think said, that's my white whale, but that's Mm. all we got. Yeah. There are two songs that only got one vote. One of them is in this show and not very surprising. And the other is extremely surprising, but not in the show. Big wave and unemployable, probably. It's a big wave is one of them, but you're going to be really disappointed when you hear the other one. Oh, is it's, it gone? It's gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. Part. I just didn't play very much. I mean, in 2006, it was probably second tier after the life waste and worldwide suicide comatose severed hands. Yeah, but should have been in the first tier. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with that at all. I think it's a terrific live song, especially then. Like they felt like they were on a good plane with it. But one person but voted for it. They haven't played it since 2013 or 2014. That's a shame. Yeah. And who knows if it ever shows up again. Yeah. So some of the other votes that we have here, Life Wasted only got three. Worldwide Suicide only got four. Unemployable and Comatose both got five. And I, going back and doing the numbers and tallying everything, I, I almost thought that Unemployable got way more votes than five. And maybe I have to go back and recalculate, but it seemed like there were a lot of people that were commenting and saying Unemployable is really, really good, which we'll get into that song later. They played it at the show. Then we have Army Reserve got six. It sounded like Army Reserve had a lot of fans, too, which is, again, weird that they're kind of in the middle over here. And then we have four of them left. What do you think is out of the top three out of Severed Hand, Marker in the Sand, Comeback, and Inside Job? Comeback, probably. That's correct. Comeback got eight votes. So Severed Hand, Marker in the Sand, Inside Job. The third most votes is marker in the sand which great great representation for a song that is vastly underrated in their catalog like that being up there and inside job got second and that had 11 points and severed hand by far with 16 points was the one that everybody went back to in your opinion here, how accurate would this be for you? I, I know, like, gone not being high at all on this list is definitely a misdirection, but what would you think of how this all came about? Um, I think it makes pretty good sense. I mean, yeah, gone is one that I would absolutely love to hear someday. Again, I think it would fit really well in the sit down set if they continue to do that. That'd be a really good choice. Inside Job, I think, is probably too high for 2006. I think that a lot of people are considering the full history of that song. Like, it's become a lot more than what it was originally, I think, with Steve Gleason and everything else. Like, that's one of their most powerful songs, 
live now and it's taken on more of a presence in the 2010s that it did in 2006. But I agree, you know, Severed Hand should definitely be number one, I think. Life Wasted, Comatose, you know, Marker in the Sand is probably a good call there. But yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I have no qualms with Severed Hand being number one. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And I think this kind of came about because when listening to this version of Severed Hand that we'll get into in just a minute, I just said this is their best live song from the new record at the time. It's easy to see how they were gelling on it. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to ruin what's about to come, so we might as well just kind of keep it for that. So here it is. We're going to jump right in and right away, you know, they can come out with Long Road and kind of do the whole, ah, it's taken us so long to play here. But then maybe this show would be a completely different vibe if they did that. But they take the route of we're just going to rock your faces off because it had been a long time coming. And right away they go from Interstellar Overdrive into Corduroy. band was ready to play a great show and give the crowd something that they hadn't seen before it's, it's very inspired from the beginning yeah i thought it was good interstellar overdrive i think you lose me a little bit when it's an intro to the show i mean i do not mind it at all when it intros corduroy like in the second spot and third spot and the fifth spot whatever but i think you lose something a little bit like it doesn't take me out of it or anything but i think you lose something when you don't get that corduroy intro to start the show. I think that is really special and is a really big moment. And having that be the first thing that you hear coming out is like, oh shit, here we go. And like getting in a stellar overdrive before that is like, oh, okay, well, you kind of warm up a little bit. So I thought that could have been a little better. And corduroy in 2006, we don't usually mention as being one of the best years for corduroy. This one didn't feel like it had some of the, the juice that some of the other ones we've heard recently had. So corduroy is always welcome anytime and as an opener, I get it. But I felt like it was a little bit of a missed opportunity to make it a bigger moment than it was. Yeah, I don't know about the whole interstellar overdrive thing. I, I like it to open a show because it's kind of the prep for corduroy and you, you know you're getting into corduroy and I think it's one that you just see that crowd they kind of jump along to and it's a real kind of energetic way to kick yourself in and they haven't done it to open shows too often i don't think i mean overall yeah. it hasn't played yeah. very often but 
Yeah, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. And I think as far as Corduroy goes for 2006, I think at this point in the year, I mean, what are we? Like the 60th show in or something like that? And Corduroy's being played at 50 of them? Maybe it's just the fact that it's like, okay, you can kind of play this mindlessly. And it's going to work when you open up a show, no matter what you do. So it kind of has this sense of, all right, we know exactly what we're doing with this. We don't need to change anything, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I mean, they can play it on muscle memory for sure, like a ton of other songs. So still a good opener, just maybe a slight missed opportunity. But getting into, I thought Animal is very good. And and Hail Hail, there's a moment with Jeff. Yeah, we should mention, too, we're recording this on Jeff's birthday. Happy birthday, Jeff. Happy birthday, Jeff. And Dave um, Bruzen. Yep. Jeff, at the end of Hail Hail, has some like amazing little bass runs. Not quite a solo, but very, very close. songs are creating this momentum and i remember we have a little chat with our gear guru javier on facebook and you said something to him about animal and about the tone of the song and when i was listening to it i think that stone was kind of palm muting half of it that's what made it sound different right yeah yeah it's going to come in on a song pretty soon too that's a lot more palm muted than it normally is too they're trying to make it a little heavier So now we're getting into the two first ones from the record here and what i like about this show is that they aren't smacking you in the face with the new record right away. Because you'd think most typical set lists, it's like Corduroy, then Worldwide Suicide, then Severed Hand, then Marker in the Sand, then Comatose, and they really front load them. And they're usually all within the first six songs, you get like four or five. And that's always kind of been a little bit of why I dismissed this tour and not in a sense that, like, I don't like this tour at all. It's in a sense that it's like most of those first U.S. shows in in May, they're kind of very similar in construction in that aspect, and I, I get it. You know, they have a great record that just came out, and they're trying to promote it, and a lot of people love those songs off of it, but we also know that it didn't work in some cases, like in Chicago, that whole thing that happened over there. We don't need to get into that at that point, but I felt like since there are five songs off the record that are in this show and they're spread out all over the place. You're not getting hit with all those in a row. World by suicide and severed hand just kind of happen right here. And then a little while later you get unemployable after that you get big wave. And then the encore, you get comatose. It feels like they definitely went towards the other nineties albums as well to kind of fill that obligation out for a crowd that probably was looking forward to them. Yeah, do you think that's just a function of them not having played there before? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. And also, like, again, this is the fifth show. They played four, and you got to know that they're usually playing those kind of songs in the beginning. So, yeah, the fifth show was kind of a good time to change it up a little bit and kind of change course. 
Yeah, and everything here is played super fast. Like, I think that may be a little bit of what took me out of Corduroy a little bit. It's so fast. Worldwide Suicide is so fast. Severed Hands, super fast. Like, we just did the Saturday Night Live from 2006 where they played these two songs, and these versions are so much different, so much faster than those. Like, the pace is way up. They've got it nailed down, Severed Hand especially. Like, you can tell, like, they've been playing it every night. Those Saturday Night Live versions were very, very early on, and these are so much faster. Everything in this show is played so fast. Yeah, I feel like 2006 was really the beginning of let's speed everything up, let's pack more in the set that, that we can get. And this is a shorter show. This is on almost two hours, 15 minutes. So you're packing in, I think, 26 songs for that. And if these songs aren't fast, maybe it looks more like a set list that we saw this past year in 2022. You know, for some songs I don't mind it, I thought that Hail Hail just kind of exploded, but Worldwide Suicide, it's already kind of one of those songs that I'm just a little dismissive of. But in this one, it felt like the speed of it took Mike out of the mix a little bit. It kind of felt like his chord progression was breaking up a little bit, and that threw me off. That threw me off a little. And Severed Hand, I mean, like, what can we say? We had just proven fact here that Severed Hand is the one from this tour. And it's just the the intense fills. And, and really, Matt has a hell of a show. Matt has a hell of a show here. And I think 2006 is really the year for Matt in a lot of different ways. Intense fills kind of all over the place, especially at the end. They really ramp up the intensity during Mike's solo. Like, that's kind of what you look for live. And I was really impressed by this version. The intro I thought was really good too. A little bit of that control chaos that you get. Because, like, that Saturday Night Live version we just talked about was the first thing in my head. And this one was so much better than that one was. They had really nailed it down. Yep. And that being the debut, yeah, this is like the 43rd time they played it. Yeah. Amazing that. Worldwide Suicide had been played nearly 50 times by September, essentially. Yep. It's pretty insane. Now you're going to get some non-radio hits, but like big fan favorites here. And not for you very early in the set is a pleasant surprise. In Hiding Following, that is a pleasant surprise seeing those packaged together. Then Unemployable will kind of round out the three as we get there. But it is a total of eight songs that are all played non-stop consecutively before it gets to talk so that is pretty cool and because of that the transitions between everything sounded absolutely perfect the transition from when severed hand ends into not for you was big like it felt like almost like what they did with the setting forth into not for you intro where it's just kind of rolling into the next thing same with luke and sometimes like they made that work that one just kind of got you pumped up for a great version of not for you too and then not for you and in hiding another one that had a seamless transition a lot of these this set if anything maybe doesn't have like a big big highlight to start but everything is cohesive
real thing with the severed hand and the Not For You. I was like, whoa, they're really just pushing that. Like, I hadn't heard that. But yeah, I thought Not For You is one of the highlights early on. I mean, it is probably played too fast, which you do lose a little bit of the original kind of power to it. But this is another one where you talked about, you know, Animal being really palm muted. Not For You, I think, super palm muted than it normally is. It just felt like tough. Like they were playing it like a hardcore song, almost like a breakdown. The bridge especially, I thought it was just like kind of muscular and brutal. An absolutely great Stone solo again near the end. So yeah, Not For You, I thought it was great. Stone does have a little bit of a hiccup in In Hiding, but they get right back onto it. And you mix it in a lot of these early songs because they hadn't played there before. You're leading off with Vitalogy versus No Code, then you get the new ones and you're right back to Vitalogy. Another thing about this crowd, because now the crowd is really kind of warmed up at this point, this crowd are very good clappers, as we'll see oh, later yeah. in like yeah. Elderly yeah. Woman mm-hmm. and another song that I think tried to have the claps and didn't. <laughs> yes, that is awkward to say. <laughs> but yeah, tried, tried to have a good clapping section and kind of didn't materialize. But there are a lot of very, very good songs where the clapping section is in need of very, very high praise. And In Hiding is one of them. Thought, you know, it just kind of ebbed and flowed and soared toward the end. Ed Boyce sounded really good on it. And, yeah, the momentum continues to happen, even into Unemployable, which will be the last stop of this eight in a row. And I'm going to give this over to Javier here because Javier, I think, is a bigger fan of the song than we are. And he has a little bit of a tidbit about this performance, not just this one, but unemployable in general, that maybe you haven't heard of before. So let's throw it over to the gear guru and see what he has to say. to Randy and John, they're always asking super cool stuff, which puts my geekiness in a different level when I have to research stuff, so shout out to them. I want to give a big shout to Unemployable. I think it's a very underrated song. I think it's a great song, if you ask me. I think they should play it more. And I think, I'm pretty sure that is, this is the only song in the Pearl Jam Live catalog where Stone and Mike, they use capos and play it with cables on the second space. Underrated, I think the tone that they get out of it is great. I think the execution of the song is absolutely perfect in this show. So I just want to give it a little shout to Unemployable for this week. So I don't know, have you ever heard of that? Two capos on a song? Have you ever heard of that? You know, different bands stuff. I've seen a bunch of bands. I think I've probably seen it before, but I never even thought of it as a thing that Pearl Jam would do or, or had done. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's a good catch by Javi. Yeah, Pearl Jam never, never, and barely on anything electric that I can think of, right? Yeah, can't think of anything. I'm going to be on the lookout for it now, though. All right, Ed's finally talking. We're finally here. We finally landed, and thank you for being there to catch us. 
I'm fluent in French and almost as good in Dutch, but since you can't decide what to speak, I'll speak in English. I'll say it again, it means a lot to us that you came to see us in this grade of numbers after so many years. And that will get us our good little mid-set hit section with Given a Fly into Even Flow. And Given a Fly, very, very uplifting. The crowd, ton of energy. Even into Even Flow, I think, yeah, you're getting like a nine-minute version of this, something around that. Subtract the Ed speech that comes after it on the bootleg, and maybe you're getting like seven and a half to eight minutes. But well, it's, it's eight and a half, yeah. It is a legit yep. eight? Okay, yep. eight and a half. But outside of the mic solo, this is starting to get long because there's another element that is thrown into the mix when Even Flow happens in 2006. It's one of our favorite things to talk about when we do this tour is that Matt Cameron is given his own moment to solo here. And this one, if you want to talk about like a drum clinic, this is a phenomenal one. with how he handled it, the way he is able to kind of keep the beat, even the key almost, you know, you can tune drums to a certain things like that. It, it feels like whatever he's doing, he's still got that even flow undercurrent to it. He's still like keeping that time of even flow as it's going off. It's very, very impressive and very, very hard to do when you're soloing. I mean, yeah, you mentioned you said clinic, that's the perfect word for it. Like he's just a robot back there, like a monster. It's one of the best even flow drum solos we've heard. And like, this has come up like they'll bring it back in the 2010s occasionally and it'll pop up here and there. But this is one of the best ones that I've heard, absolutely. Yeah, I was blown away by this version. And look, if they're doing the solo every night, they're doing this every single yeah. night. That's 
upwards of almost 80 shows for 2006. Yeah. And there are a lot of very, very good ones, but this one might be up there with some of the best. And Cameron, he was even doing harmonies on the verses early on. Like, I haven't heard... like that. ...harmonies on even flow early on, ever. But you, no. there, there's his voice, like, backing up Ed. Yeah, very interesting. And that's kind of what I was alluding to when I was saying, like, Matt really kind of broke out in 2006 and it wasn't just for him being behind the kid but like he was background singing everything there's a song that's going to come in a couple of minutes that essentially ed kind of lays off for a second or two and matt's singing the song and i don't know if he realizes he's singing the song but he's essentially like singing the final part of a verse or something and you're like okay matt can hold up matt is very very good at this which we all know he's good at everything so and one other note that I wanted to get in from Javier that he heard in Evenflow that a little bit of a slide guitar was being used there. So very, very interesting. This is not a show that we have any video for. So we are working just from audio here. And there's some songs that you definitely feel like you need it. Evenflow absolutely being one of them. There's another one coming in the encore that you absolutely feel like you should be seeing. But this is what we have. We went off of it, and it's still great from that aspect. So, all right, Ed is just introducing everybody to Matt Cameron and then introducing everyone to the man on his right. That starts the next song. Of course, it's Mike McCready. We're going to go package these together. It's present tense and then do the evolution. And this was really interesting about the intro into present tense. It sounds like Ed's mic isn't working at first. So they extend the intro and you can kind of hear a little bit. I don't don't think that's coming from a crowd. I think you can kind of hear Ed trying to sing and nothing's really coming out. And it's kind of cool because... A song like that, it's got just a pretty arpeggiated riff to it, and you can kind of like sit there and just listen to it and be captivated and kind of, you know, lose yourself in it, that it kind of felt like this in the beginning, that, oh, okay, like, let's see how long this can be extended for and what this can sound like. Then, of course, they break into the lyrics and the whole song in general is just very, very well done especially when the crowd is coming in. We've talked about 2006 being the breakout year for present tense because of that Letterman version. And it translates to everybody. It translates to every crowd that gets it. When Ed gives them the opportunity to sing this, they take it and they run with it. Jack Irons almost on like a super tribal kind of pounding beat on present tense. Again, something I never heard before sounded very, very good. 
I noticed that too, and you kind of hear that like little chink of a hi-hat that comes in between all of that. I, I kind of mentioned that last week, the little accentuated little things that Matt does, and like that made it. That made it, like that booming tribal sound, but getting that little bit thrown in there, like those are things that you kind of notice and take notice of. You're like, yeah, well, he knows what he's doing. He knows what kind of sound this song deserves. And the rest of the song is just riding on a very, very good high. It's a great performance. Do the evolution. There's a couple line changes I think it's interesting to get into. One of them is I can kill, but I never, I never. And I wonder that could be for a couple things. Either he's kind of alluding to I'd never kill or he would never trust in God. What is the more likely scenario that he's going for there? I thought it was probably more the latter, but the first one did come into my mind as well as being a possibility. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Probably the second one, but could have been a little bit of both. Yeah, I thought that in God I trust thing at first, but it could be, yeah, double meaning or something like that. But... There's no double meaning on the next line change because I think we even mentioned this like a month ago. I think we had another kind of line change that was similar to this, but I think I said, I can't wait for the moment that we get the shit my corduroy pants line. And here we have it. They're on a really good tear right here. Stone is reverberating from the solo, very impassioned Ed. And at this point, this is another one that Evolution getting played every night. It's like a cakewalk for them. They can just do this in their sleep. Oh yeah, this little run, like, given to fly, even flow, present tense Evolution, like, there's not a damn thing wrong with that anytime, anywhere. Ed says this next one is from the last thing we recorded. In a way, it's about the same thing. It's about Evolution. It mentions Mother... And let's just give a huge amount of respect for another mother that's here tonight, Wolf Mother from Australia. I will save the Wolf Mother conversation for a little bit later, but Wolf Mother was kind of popular a little bit. They sort of gained some traction in 06, 07, and it's so weird because you never really heard from them again after this little time period they just really disappeared and you know maybe it's because they are from australia maybe they are more popular down there and i'm sure we have a lot of australians and new zealanders to back us up on that and let us know but it felt like they disappeared in a flash so the next two that you're getting right here an interesting back-to-back and i actually like the combo big wave into small town never would you thought that this would work huh and Even Big Wave, I don't remember the last time we covered Big Wave. Like, it was probably with Matt. That's how long ago it was. I think I've talked about it maybe once or twice. It's been a while, though. On an episode with Matt, I'm sure, right? (laughs) It had to have been. But yeah, like, this is one hand, I think, you can count on that we've covered this almost never. But also on that aspect, I think that I'd never really heard a real gelled together live version of this that was just like on point like whoa big wave impressed me and this version i think does this is so close to that and again it's just the way that the riff progression and 
a lot of Cameron backups in this. A lot of Cameron backups. And, and this is the one that I mentioned before that Cameron just kind of takes over a chorus or a verse, and that's all you hear. And it's like, okay, this is Cameron getting a little bit of a part here. I like this. And even what's so weird about this is that, you know, Big Wave you see is kind of like a, obviously a big surf song, like obviously very positive, you know, very high octane kind of thing. But it gets spacey and a little bit dark and a little bit experimental. I don't think I've ever heard this song in this fashion before kind of get that kind of treatment and even at the end it, it just extends and, and takes you to a little bit of an unexpected place what do you think i thought it was good the jam at the end is the part that separates it and kind of elevates it above the standard big wave version that we hear you know in the 2000 times yeah i thought that was great there's a part right before the solo where mike is doing something a little rough like making a little bit of a chunk chunk kind of sound and almost reminded me like he was doing uh, homage to like the Beach Boys or some of that 50s, 60s kind of surf sound. When Stone was doing his lead, they were kind of like playing off together. It sounded really interesting. Hey, we got a gear guru to talk about this one too. He's kind of gonna go over what the ending was like and a little bit of the sound of this song. So let's throw it back to Javi. guitar players they have to do a lot of tap dancing and some of them they will tell you that like they keep their tone better if they go completely in one signal path and their voice switchers i think that's a personal preference but it works for these guys on this tour before big wake you can hear something called the huge kettner rotosphere which is a univive high pace, low pace kind of sound combined with the chorus pedal that we have talked to before when we started the show for this week. Combination of both, you cannot trigger both at the same time, but again, it adds this pretty, pretty awesome little texture before the solo, before you go in in front of the mix, before you go in front of the band just to melt some faces in Belgium for this year. I think there are pivotal years when it comes to equipment related with Pearl Jam Live, because they were trying a lot of new stuff. Also, this is the first year that they started to include a lot of P90s over the rig. Ed has been playing with P90s for a long time, but for Mike and Stone, it was not a very common thing. And now you can see in their arsenal, single coils, hamburgers, P90s, a lot of different stuff that you can get really great tones to that. If you wonder where you hear this, go back to uh, comatose, severe hand, or even in present days, like more corduroy, state of love and trust. That's when you can hear that kind of P90 sound. 
Once again, thank you for all the insight on that. Not not one that we're going to get to unless somebody requests it and we get to it tomorrow kind of deal. But yeah, not one that we're going to get to again anytime soon. Small town that followed it. What I love from this is that I know I've heard these double claps. We're back to the clap in here. These double claps that kind of happen within the verse. Can I find a candle for light your name? For lifetimes they're catching on with me. I think this is a very European thing because I feel like I've heard this in like Germany or something like that, but I don't think it's ever been Americanized before. I don't think we've ever heard that clap section come out of a US crowd, but I like it. I kind of like it. It, it sort of fills in for the lack of percussion that the song has in the beginning, you know? Oh yeah, I thought it absolutely made the song. This is another highlight. I was, yeah, blown away by the clapping rhythm on this. Very well done by this crowd. Yeah, it's something that you never think of, but when you hear it in this, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. It accentuates the song perfectly. Like, why aren't we doing that every time? Like, it sounds really, really great. I don't know, but look, if we can convince 17,000 people that are going to be in the same arena while this song is playing to do this by this podcast right now, if we get seven, I'll be very happy. But I'm going to guess that we maybe get one and a half. So, hey, let's be on the right side of history here and try to bring it the next time that small town comes over to the States, whenever that may be. But as far as the song in whole, I think that kind of gave it a lift and turned it into more of like a an impassioned and anthemic and collaborative version. Even Ed thrown in that line. That's another one, kind of a nod to them never coming to Belgium before there. Never dreamed we'd make it here. So yeah, that kind of ties into the story of the night for sure. Jeremy, why go? You're finishing with two Big Ten songs. And this is interesting. Like there's a juxtaposition between these two songs because before Jeremy, Ed would ask for some help. And as soon as the first chorus comes in, they are on it right away. It's Jeremy. What else are they going to do? And he gets the big fuck chant. And of course, you get the big call and response, the whoa's at the end and, and all that great momentum, you know, great speed on this. And then you transition into why go, which feels like it should carry momentum over. But for some reason, it felt like the crowd was flat during Jeff's bass intro. Maybe they're just, you know, a little bit of a hangover from going big on Jeremy. And Jeremy, again, is so fast. Like way faster than they've played it before since, so maybe they just needed a little bit of a break. Possibly. It's just in that bass intro. The rest of the song, like, you can hear them participate when they're kind of breaking up from the chorus to the verse, like, Ed gives them the mic and they all do the, why go home? They all do that. 
and it sounds very good, but I think it's just that bass, and I have a theory on this. It's because, think about this song and the history of this song before 2006. A lot of people's live intake at this point are the 2000 boots and the 2003 boots, and maybe even at this time, of course, the 2005 boots as well. Now, those are the ones that they're kind of running off of here. And Why Go wasn't played at all in 2000. Why Go was kind of haphazardly played in 2003. Different and then version, two- yeah. yeah, and then 2005 kind of a little bit here and there, but I don't think it was gaining the kind of momentum that we know of it now to have where you get all those hey chants in the beginning with the bass. So I wonder if a little bit of that went into it. Of course you do hear some people doing it, but it feels like singular people that you're hearing. And I'm wondering if like those are the guys that had 1992 bootlegs and heard them do the hey chants and like pink pop and things like that. Yeah, there's probably something to that. I mean, the song was gone for so long, like eight years from 95 to 03 and then yeah it came back in kind of an altered form with like a more guitar based version in 2003 and yeah 2006 is really when all that stuff came back and why go really had a second life and became kind of what it is now but this is early on in that so yeah that that makes a lot of sense that like they didn't know that that's what it was yet and that's again not a fault of the song at all it's just kind of an observation from that point especially how great the crowd was i thought that they were just going to lift momentum right over but jeremy's a that's a big one and i'm sure a lot of people after jeremy were just like whoa that was a moment right there but the performance is very very good mike has this killer solo there's even some spacey stuff that's happening kind of in the beginning too that sounded really good so it's a great way to close the main set only 16 songs to close it's a little bit light when you consider the 17 18 that are normally on average all right it's time for the encore let's pause for station identification and talk about things like patreon and things kind of attached around the podcast universe i suppose we do have one brand new patron this week and since there is no full name here i only have the first name but i do have a location as to where this person is from his name is dave and he is from canada that is all i have and he also joined the bonus leg for the year so no last name but Dave, if you're out there, if you're listening, hope you are. Happy to have you aboard. Thank you for joining up. And hey, send us an email. Let us know what you've been listening to, what you enjoy from this. So yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks a lot, Dave. Yeah, another Canadian. We have a lot of Canadians. We need a lot of Canadian requests. I think we got some that are sort of in the queue that might be happening later this year, might even be happening next year. So just kind of keep that in mind. But if you kind of like the idea of the request that's what today's episode is it's a patreon requested episode so if you like the idea if you have a story that you really really want to tell from a show that you've been to then this is the best place to do it we do it in conjunction with kind of supporting the show and getting benefits from supporting the show which i'll get into a little bit of a benefit thing in just a second but It's all done through our Patreon. If that is something that you are interested in helping us out so that we can do some cool things while on tour and make up for the fact that we don't sell any advertising on this show, then you can donate to us through Patreon. There are three tiers. The bonus leg tier is going to get you everything that's the content 
value-wise over that's on Patreon, which is very good. It is definitely worth a dollar a month. Or if you want to join up on the Egg tier, this tier is where you can have an episode request fulfilled. As many of our patrons in the past have done, we saw Scott come on last week and tell his stories about Philly that were fantastic, and we've seen a lot of people come on this year. They're part of the tiers, and they're either part of the Egg tier or the Ryzen Leg tier, where you get these benefits. And really, we sit there, you get to tell your story, what you really enjoyed about the show, and maybe some of your background on Pearl Jam, and we put it into the episode. We kind of make a little thing of it. So, if that's something that you're interested in, that is all done through Patreon. And again, it's something to help us out. It's to support of the show. And we really thank everybody that has been doing this for the past couple of years. It's really important to us to be able to do more things and allow the show to kind of grow and expand. And we have to a very high extent. And I don't think we can do that at all without any patrons or anything like that. So if you just want to help out like everyone else and want to get your benefits, the benefits are great. And even there are people out there. I'm going to call some people out, not by name, but I'm going to say here, there are some Giggle Egg and Horizon Leg members that have not had episode requests fulfilled. Some of you have given me shows, and they're on the list, they're in the queue, but some of you haven't even given a show at all. So this is a wake-up call. If you're listening to it right now and you're like, yeah, I'm a tiered member, send us an email, send us a message, whatever you got to do to get a show request in our hands and in an episode that will be dedicated solely to you. That is what we do. The Horizon Leg tier, that's a whole different other thing. And if that's something that you really, really want to support, we really appreciate that. But we know that's kind of getting up there in price. And we try to keep everything fair to everybody as much as we can. But there's something that we're kind of considering adding to the Horizon Leg tier for all the people that do decide to join. So you get something else outside of just an episode request and a profile episode and a little bit of a shared producer credit on the website, we're going to start putting together some merch packages and haven't decided all the things that would go into the merch package, but there will be some exclusive stuff that you wouldn't be able to get if you're not a patron. So keep that in mind. It'll be right now, probably for the Horizon Leg tier members, and there'll be more information as the weeks go by. Some of you might have seen on social media that I had made some purchases for Live on Four Legs guitar picks, as a matter of fact. I'll be getting a bunch of those, so those won't be exclusive. But there will be some other things that will be just for the Horizon Leg tier. So if you do want to join to any of what I just said before, if you remember anything of what I just said, then head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs and join. Feel free, donate, help us out, help yourself out if you're looking for more content, because it's all over there. All right, that's all that needs to be said. Then we're moving on to the next thing, which is Encore 1, Back to the Rock. I don't know exactly what happens here, but Ed is referencing a shirt. And I guess the shirt says something along the lines of, please play for four hours, something like that. Is that the gist of this, you think? Yeah, it's something like they had to cancel, so you owe us four hours or something. Or are you going to play double to make up for, I think, the, probably the 2000 one? Yeah, and then he says, we. I actually think we owe you six. We can't play six hours unless you play a ukulele song, so that's what they're going to get and, and soon forget. But they played just a little over two. But you know what? 
Belgium will get their due. The very next year, he actually will say at the end of the show, we'll see you next year and make good on their promise. That doesn't right, happen. For once, he, for once he followed up, yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen a whole lot, so yeah. feel lucky in that regard. Well, Soon we, for- we see you, Boise. Ooh, turn a blind eye to that. Uh, so yeah, we're starting with Soon Forget, the ukulele song, obviously. The timing of the clapping in this one didn't really work. It kind of sounded like Ed had to punt on a line or so. This is kind of that what I was saying before about some of the clapping yeah. stuff really, really working well. This one, not so much, but... That's the running joke in Soon Forget is any time there's clapping, it messes him up. Yeah, overall, though, nice performance. He made it kind of feel big at the end, but nothing outside of normal. But honestly, that all needed to be said in under 30 seconds or less because this we're going to spend a little time on. It's a 10-minute version of Black. And I'll have to say here that it's a pretty impassioned version. Mike is pretty vibrant in the solo. You get the crowd involved and the crowd's doing their thing. I didn't think the actual song was like a bigger and better version of Black. I thought it was a very, very good version of Black and really sort of at the bar what you expect from the song. It's not until around like the six minute mark where the solo starts to come down a little bit and the crowd starts filling in the do-do-do-do-do-do-do's and Ed starts singing that along with them. Mike has some whale sounds going on on his guitar. And then we start to get a really quiet, almost sort of sullen, we belong together tag. They kind of continue with that. They clap along in unison. There are more do-do-do-do's. And then there's a massive ovation once the song is over. They just keep clapping. They're loud. And Ed sort of half on mic, half off mic. You're able to tell he's kind of like, whoa, you guys are good. And then... Right after that, this beautiful reprise of the doo 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 comes in and just takes over and fills the place. John, I'm going to say this, and it's going to be 
I wouldn't call it controversial, but it's going to be a huge compliment to the Belgium crowd. If you pass this version along without any context of where this version was or what they were doing in it, you'd probably ask me what South American show it was. Am I right? Well, probably. Yeah, that's what they're known for. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, though. The version itself, I mean, I'm listening to Black and I'm thinking, okay, like, this is a good version. It doesn't get into that, like, otherworldly, transcendent level that Black sometimes will get. But, yeah, then here comes the crowd, and you're like, oh, man, they're taking this to another level, and it gets somewhere really good. Yeah, I'm with you that the crowd really elevated and took it to somewhere else that it wasn't at before that. Yeah, it was, it was very impressive. Yeah, it does remind you of one of those, like, Argentinian or Brazilian crowds. Let's keep going without any prompting at all. Yeah. And what did we do? The Mexico City show earlier mm-hmm. this year where Ed and the rest of the band just kind of stopped and stared and just kind of looked on in amazement. This kind of had that same sense. You know, it's it's tough not to see a video of it and see actually what the reaction was, but y- you got the sense. All right. Better Man is going to follow up on that. And I think that was a really good follow-up to that because you're going to get another one that the crowd is just going to be in on right away. But also, this one has like the uplifting energy and kind of is more of a go song once you get into the big heart of the song. But the Belgians took it away right from the beginning. And Ed gives them the mantle on this, barely does any of the heavy lifting, and lets them go. Sounds good once again. But again, like not a big anthemic ending like no save it for later no tag on this i thought that was a little weird that you've just had this big crowd moment and they kind of just do the jam on better man and then then let it end like it felt like this was going to be a big call and response like a big ending to get to something really cool but they kind of lay off on it yeah i noticed that too and i guess it really didn't bother me as much i think if crazy mary wasn't the next song and maybe you would have wanted that extended. I, I, I think that's sort of the thing here is that you don't want three songs right in a row all hitting about eight, nine minutes long. You know what I mean? Like, that's a pretty massive. You don't need that. Yeah, you can do that, but is it really necessary? You know, Crazy Mary is going to have, like, a nine-minute jam or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's maybe. Yeah, but again, everything's played so fast here. It makes sense. But yeah, that could be it let's talk a little more about crazy Mary. And of course, 2006 is the year of various classic versions of this, but you know, this version is interesting because I just mentioned it's, it's about nine minutes, like a little bit more than nine minutes long, but it does feel like it takes a while to really get into the heart of the song. And while boom is fine and boom sounds good and everything like that, it just really didn't feel like there was a lot of fire behind it until Mike came in and started dueling with him. It took him a while to get warmed up, yeah. But the jam sounds good when they get into it. It seems like they're matching shot for shot. Like Mike is kind of doing some of those like hammer-ons and things like that, and Boom is really matching exactly what he's trying to do. And it's very, very fun. They they kind of make a little bit of a show out of it. And you know, they're both showmen. And at this time, like they have it down pat. They know what each other's gonna do at this point. So yeah, it started to get good right around probably like the seven minute mark and you know while maybe it doesn't really tear the roof off the place it still got them to to where this kind of version needed to be 
when they come together and start going to co-op mode, it gets to a really good place. But it, it does take a long time to get there. Boom, you know, sometimes Boom will come out blazing right from the start, but he doesn't on this one. It's a really slow build, but it, it gets good at the end, like you said. All right, the end of Encore 1 is going from comatose into Alive. And we talk about comatose sometimes, how more recent versions are really kind of like sort of sloppy and Ed's really stumbling through it. And I I remember there's one version, it might have been the Fenway version from 18, that Ed kind of had to look at a fan and kind of read his lips to know what the lyrics were in there. And it got to that point. But, you know, remember, this is 2006. They're playing this nearly every night. It really kicks you back into sort of that time period where they were feeling songs like this, where this was one of the strongest songs they had. You know, it got some votes on that poll that we talked about earlier in the show, and it had the kind of firepower that you wanted from, like, a legit, like, hardcore kind of Pearl Jam punk rock song. Maybe hardcore is going a little too far, but, yeah, Pearl Jam punk, and there it was. And it's also, like, the first one since the main set that really got you back into kicking in that fast-paced gear. Yeah, you needed something to kind of like get them going again after those, you know, the long jam on Crazy Mary, the big hits there in the middle, and you need something to kind of like punch people in the face one more time before getting into a live, and and Comatose definitely does that. I mean, it's not my favorite of that style. I think it says before, Crapshoot Rapture, I think is the original version of it, I think does that a little better. It was changed at the last minute. But yeah, overall, like, yeah, it serves the purpose here. You know, they'll do that, you know, break out a super fast one late on to kind of get everybody awake one last time. Alive is closing out the encore. And, you know, what's interesting about this, I don't know if you noticed it, is something that I brought up with Javier, too. He's going to talk about something else in just a second. But in the verses, especially, Mike, it sounds like, is doing a very reverby, delay effect sort of rhythm. And it really reminded me of the way that the original 10 recording went, how like that sound was so prominent in that record. And I don't remember like a more modern version of Alive having that sound. It's sort of a, a dated style to this point. And in 1991, 1992, maybe they were utilizing it more. But after that, it was pretty sort of straightforward. But again, this is another MVP crowd. Like, they get to sing loud and clear, big chants. You know, when they get into the ending, I love the big time stop and go, I love when it gets into that. That brings out the energy and, and kind of brings something a little bit extra into it. But... Let's toss it to Javier here because he has some things on the end. It did sound like Mike was having some pretty quick changes within effect pedals and stuff like that. There are a few things that are going on that really kind of seem like off the fly, and he has a really good description for all of it. So throw it over to him once again.
the end of the live you can hear another new element that it was added on the 2006 tour. Stone and Mike went through a lot of changes from 1998, 2000, 2003, 2006, even up to this day. I mean, it, like there are countless different settings that they're using. In 2006, specifically, Mike added a bunch of stuff. One of them, it was a pedal called Wami, Wami pedal made by Digitech. Fun fact for you guys, if you wanted to get the grunge sound in the 90s, actually you can get it in one pedal because they made a pedal called the grunge or grunge which it was kind of purple-ish and you can get all the crunch sounds. But anyways, you can hear this at the end of the live. A Wami pedal works in the way that you can get very high pitch sounds, very low pitch sounds by just pressing the pedal up and down. Very fun to play with. A very well-known, noticeable user is Tom Morello, Rage Against the Machine, Audioslave. I think you guys have heard about him some way or another. But yeah, another interesting element at the end of a live, another new thing that we can hear in this tour when it comes to new sounds, new textures, new tones for these guys. All good stuff. Thanks to our gear guru once again for yep. just picking the stuff out and knowing exactly what everything is. And he showed us some pictures of the pedal boards and things like that. We're going to have to get him to share that stuff on the Facebook group because that's, that's stuff I think people want to see and talk about. That ended up being the end of Encore 1. Shall we get into Encore 2? This is great. Right before they take the stage, you know, you kind of get the dip of Alive and then you kind of fade back up into the second Encore. The crowd won't stop. They are still singing Alive as the band came out on stage. That's how powerful this one got to them. Ed, looking around, I'm sure he's like, whoa, what's happening here? He says he's kind of at a loss for words. He just thanks everybody for being so kind to a bunch of scrappy Americans who are coming to Belgium after all this time. There's something that called good things that come to those who wait, and we've waited a long time to get to play here. Thanks for all the good things, great things. And then ends up saying thank you in a few different languages. Indifference is going to be the Encore 2 opener. There are only four songs here. So a very rare occasion where Indifference is A, not the closer, and B, in the same show as Yellow Ledbetter. So I kind of liked the dynamic using it here because it's sort of easing you into big stuff that's about to happen. It also gives you a crowd moment at the same time. So what do you think about Indifference being used in this kind of spot? I thought it was good. I think it gives it a little more relaxed feel, like it doesn't have the weight of having to close the show, and it can just kind of be what it is. Like, you can tell, like, it's very easygoing. Indifference is just like, you know, you're coming off the big moment on a live, the crowd's high up energy. Like, they're just going to take it and like, all right, we're, we're going to keep playing, but we're just going to ease into this. Like I said, there's going to be a big moment in a minute. So it gives Indifference a chance to kind of be just what it is without having to be the big closing sing-along. Okay. Well, now Ed's going to address the crowd again. says, with your approval, we're going to experiment here. This is something that we've never attempted in Belgium before. That They'd never been in Belgium before. We'll either try it or we don't, and I think we should try it. It's a song that we can't normally play because it needs somebody else's help. 
but tonight we've enlisted Andy from Wolf Mother to help us out. Now, this is, look, before even talking about the song, like, they're going to do Hunger Strike together. Andy wasn't a very good choice. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) I'm going to, let's not beat around the bush. It it sucks. This is not a great, (laughs) this is not a great version of Hunger Strike. I'm listening to this and his voice comes in. I'm like, no, no, no. Blood is on the table, the mouths are choking, but I'm going I'm gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna say something that might bother the Wolf Mother stands. I'll call them stands. I didn't have anything else to call them, so I guess they're stands. If this bothers you, then okay. But he really here sounded like a dollar store Lane Stanley. Like not even that good. (laughs) It's he doesn't have. No, there's no there's no Lane Staley. I didn't think it's more just he sounds like. Uh, dollar store Robert Plant, and it's just it's all wine and no. Robert Plant no is substance. more impressive of a singer than Lane Stilly, you know, like that. Right, but but, like but Lane had him. like a, like an edge to his voice, and like there was like a, a darkness to it. Like there's none of that here. Yeah, it just sounds like just sounds like a teenager, like way out of his league. It, he's more of a Cornell style, where he's got the falsetto, so maybe they would have been better if they had flipped and let him do the Cornell part and just let Ed do his part. But this is brutal to get through. I mean, there's been what? There's been, we know, Corin Tucker has, has duetted on this, Ben from Band of Horses, and I think Corin is, like, the gold standard. Like, she yes. nailed it. Yes. I think Ben did pretty good, but this is way, way below those. This is This is not really worth your time. You know what else he said? He kind of sounded like a little bit of like a bird squealing. And I don't know why this image came to my head, but, you know, I'm just going to share something weird that gets into my head that I don't know if it makes any sense or not. But the vision I saw of him, it sounded like he was one of the crows that's on the Shake Your Money Maker album cover. And, and like, I get that vision of one of those crows singing this. And I'm like, I like... Oh, no, not, not even that good. You're giving, you're giving it too much credit. <laughs> well, okay. So some things aren't really meant to leave 2006. A lot of this show is meant to leave 2006, but this version of Hunger Strike should probably be buried. And through proxy... Maybe Baba should go with it. I thought we were done with him. I really, really thought we were done with him. And again, not having the video for this one, I think, kind of proved a little bit detriment here because, you know, they do the whole don't cry, don't raise your eye. And you thought, okay, well, pretty normal. They didn't say goodbye to him, so that should have been the tip off. But his voice comes in after that, and you're just like, oh no, not this again. 
definitely ruined his version of Baba for me. And there you have probably why you don't hear from Wolf Mother anymore. Yeah, I think they did Hunger Strike with him like the next show in Barcelona and then not again. Yeah, I can see why. And I don't know if they they opened for him the whole time. I don't think I don't yeah. think they opened for him a lot, but yeah. I can see why. Okay, so after Baba and after all that, I like how everybody's having fun, I suppose, but listening to this on bootleg afterwards is not not the best experience, but we say goodbye. Goodbye, Andy. See you later. Whenever the next time you stumble along the show is. And, you know, we're getting into lead better. So Ed says, this is not how you say goodbye in the U.S. We don't say goodbye in the U.S. You come to a country and then you occupy it. So then until next time, then we'll see you next year. Which, again, as we mentioned earlier, is the truth. So Ledbetter is closing out this night. Pretty rare, again, to get Ledbetter and Indifference in the same set. But speaking of Zeppelin, it sounds like Mike tags something very, very reminiscent of Zeppelin right at the end. It was only for, like, five seconds or so. And I can't even put my finger on what song it sounded like. But it kind of had that same Jimmy Page, like, sort of, you know, going off. Yeah, he he went into like a really fast solo for a minute and then went right back into the slow Ledbetter ending. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, You know, I'm not a big guitar god solo guy, so again, I couldn't tell you what it was. But yeah, it it felt a a little too deliberate and placed very well to, to just be random. They say goodbye and something caught my ear at the very tail end of this, and it makes a lot of sense. If you remember listening to the end of the Zurich 92 boot, there are these massive crowd chants, and the crowd is saying, whoa, 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 while like clapping all in unison and everything like that. I'm going to guess it's some kind of soccer chant, because it's something that everybody kind of seemed like they knew and they were up on. But at the very tail end, as this was fading out, you heard a little bit of that. I don't know if you caught that at all. No, that's cool though. So I mean, it could be cool to have a video to see like what they were doing at the end. Yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. Okay, so there goes the set list. Now let's pick some songs to rank as our top three. What do you got? Oh, my number three is Small Town with the clapping. Thought that was very very good. My number two is Hail Hail with Jeff doing his bass run. So that was very impressive. My number one's Even Flow. All right. All right. I think I'm going to give a nod to Big Wave here. I like this performance. It surprised me a lot. So I'm going to put it at number three. I also like Small Town a whole lot. I don't know if I want it in my top three because we do have a couple other things that that make sense to go in there. Present Tense was another big moment for me. I think I'm going to put Present Tense at number two then I think number one has to be black because of just how overpowering that crowd is. And I really almost thought to myself, like, I don't want to take this because it feels like we always put black into the top three and that can sort of go for any show that you'd be able to do that. But yeah, for a crowd like this, getting the opportunity for the first time to do this and to impress the band and prove to them that 
they do deserve a show every time they go to Europe. I think that this is a phenomenal example of that. So, yeah, Black will be my number one for this. All right, rating time. Yeah, this is hard. It's a very good show. There's some very good moments, but there's also the other things that we talked about. I You're going to knock points this, for that? Yeah, I can't put this up in the higher level. I'm going to go seven and a half on this one. All right. I, as well, thought this was a very, very good show. I think that it exceeded expectations, which probably would lead me to giving it a little bit of a higher rating than I would usually. I'm not going to dock points for Hunger Strike. I'm just not going to do it because it happened. So what? Oh, well, we never have to talk about it again. I can leave it be. So I'm just going to focus on the things that I really liked. And there was a lot of good energy, good momentum from song to song, very fast pace, and really did feel, outside of having eight avocado songs in or whatever, it really did feel like a 2006 era show so i'm going to give it an eight and a half okay yeah once again thank you to gunter for pitching this one and getting on our minds and then at the same time getting on all your guys minds because that's the thing they got more than a thousand bootlegs and shows to go through and listen to and there's some out there that you want to go back to all the time your molines and soldier field and you know, MSG shows and Philly shows and on and on and on. But, you know, then that means these boots get forgotten about and they don't deserve to be forgotten about. Well, maybe Hunger Strike does, but we don't know that until we talk about it. So we got that out of the way. We got it all figured out. And it was a very, very good show. And I was very happy to share it with you all. Now, something I'm really, really excited to share with you guys. Next week, we kind of had the spot blank on our schedule. We didn't really know what to do. We didn't really have a solid, concrete plan for it. But we got a message from somebody, and I've been talking to that person a little bit here and again on, on Twitter, and I thought that this was too good of an opportunity not to miss. And that's why we're going to do another 2000 show next week. This is going to also be our first of three Pittsburgh shows that we're going to be doing this year. So if you're a big Pittsburgh guy, you got a lot coming for you. We are going to do the Pittsburgh 2000 show. And you may remember there is a story from that show about a girl and an umbrella and a request and a whole litany of story that comes kind of connected to that. If you do remember it, We're going to have that girl on. Her name is Amy, and we are going to be talking to her next week, which is very, very exciting. So she'll kind of reminisce on the whole story. And yeah, can't wait to talk to her about all that. I'm sure, you know, with not just that moment, but the girth of shows that she's been to, 100 shows by the year 2000 is beyond impressive. So we'll look into like what she's been doing, you know, recently and kind of what she's been doing all in between. But yeah, she's an OG. So we're going to talk to her. We're going to talk about that moment. It should be very, very good podcasting. So keep it on your schedule. Keep it on your calendar because it's going to be a very, very good one. All right. Well, 
Now here, if you like the show, then you can help us out in various different ways. I shared the Patreon information before. If that's something that you feel interested in doing, then head on over there and support us in a financial factor. But if you don't feel like that's something that you can do at this point, totally understandable, we do happily ask that you can just give us a little bit of a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Some people listen over on Spotify. They have a little bit of a rating system, so you can just give the stars over there. Hopefully we have earned the five. Or for most of you that go and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can head on over there. Give us a little rating again, five stars if you feel so inclined, and leave us a comment. It's not even for us. It's for the next person, the person that is looking for a Pearl Jam show and is looking to dig deep into the catalog. And all you have to do is say, Randy and John do a phenomenal job at talking about their history and putting things into place and on and on and on. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but you get where I'm coming from with this. So just a nice little comment that'll help out and get the next person reading thinking, okay, I can listen to one episode of this. And then maybe, just maybe, that person then tells another person. And that person tells a group of people at the next set of shows, whenever that's happening. And the word of mouth just keeps spreading and spreading and spreading. And there you go. That's you that did that. That's you that left that comment and kind of sprouted the seed that became not even just people listening to us, but people getting and reminiscing about their past show memories. That doesn't happen very often. You can listen to all the bootlegs you'd like, but getting another voice into that too probably helps an equation. I'm sure people get that good vibe from it that people are taking the time to talk about a show that's special to them. So that's what we aim to achieve every week. And hopefully for those of you that were at Antwerp in 2006, hopefully we, we achieved that for you today. All right, let's kick it to the end. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. All right. Well, Please let it rain next week because our minds are so filthy in so many ways. We'll get to talk all about it. See you on Wednesday.